0: Katie Keller, editor with Clarence Jobs. Today I had the pleasure of speaking with Colonel Candace Frost and her job as a director in the G2 of Army staff. We discussed her beginnings in Iowa all the way to the work she's doing now to both predict the next threats facing the United States while also starting up and running her own consulting business. She has served at all levels of the military from the tactical with the 82nd Airborne Division at Fort Bragg to the strategic with her current job at the Pentagon in D.C. Just have to ask, how is the Army and your staff dealing with the current pandemic? Are there any huge growing pains that you're experiencing?
1: Our mission has been uh, pretty solid to provide intelligence to the Army staff. So we've retained a lot of what we do. It's just at a uh, triple the number of briefings and, and insight and information that we normally provide with about a third of the staff. So it's it's keeping people busy. A third of the staff present, but so many people are teleworking that it's really awesome to see kind of how they are pushing information forward. If anything, it's brought the team together in just a different way, and we're doing pretty well. Good. It sounds like both teleworking
0: and folks in the office, that's great that the Army was able to accommodate that for the folks that are able to telework.
1: They're working to the best of their ability, of course, with a lot of the cleared jobs. It's hard when you don't have access to every system, but you just find creative ways to think about problems at the unclassified level. COVID-19 is a
0: huge topic right now, obviously, so I just wanted to ask how your team is handling that. You met Lindy Kaiser, our senior editor, I think at Natset Girl Squad. Is that correct? That's correct, yep. So I'd love to hear about when you do those speaking engagements, what sort of topics are you covering? My focus
1: and coverage of a lot of public speaking topics kind of go into two lanes. The the first lane is really with my job right now in the Pentagon. And I look at a lot of threats towards the United States and kind of how we look at falling in the national defense strategy and threats to the U.S. And, and that's kind of my uniform is on and what I speak with in that regard. The, the other side is kind of what I do and what I've enjoyed with respect to public speaking in talking about leadership and mentorship and Understanding the national security environment while also really trying to emphasize and bolster more women's participation in it. Because I think there is a definite shortage of great talent, the talent pool in America that that could come over to both national security and especially where I'm at, the Department of Defense, to continue serving the nation just in a different role. I'm a big advocate for getting more women into this space.
0: Sure. And I know that with NatSec Girl Squad promoting diversity within this space, it's something that you don't necessarily see. And I know a lot of women that I speak with, they'll sometimes walk into a briefing or walk into a conference room and they are the only women there. It's great that we have more women than we have in the past, but you're exactly right. More women should be getting involved in national security and national defense. Having that diversity, I think is important. Bringing more great minds to the table is important.
1: Absolutely. And it's also important to know that you you have people behind you kind of cheering you on and that are willing to both develop you and take an interest in your personal development. And that's what's so phenomenal about this group. Absolutely. Kind of switching gears, you have a pretty extensive military
0: career. I did you know, check out your online profiles. I'd love to hear what motivated you to join the Army and I guess leading up to that point. And...
1: So I didn't really have an idea of what the military was. I just happened to have a guidance counselor in high school that thought I should apply to West Point. Mm-hmm. because I was a really good runner and, and pretty smart. On a whim, I took my guidance counselor's advice and didn't tell anyone at all, except for people that wrote me recommendations. So I found out I got accepted to West Point when I was at a Bob Dylan concert. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so because of the school, the um, United States Military Academy, and and what it could bring to me potentially – uh, I just kind of threw myself into that, and it was really my first duty station at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, where I drank from the punch bowl and fell in love with soldiering and the greatness that the Army is to providing a, a real kind of advantage to so many different sectors and populations in America. I saw that all come together in one location and just loved it, and uh, and I've been with it ever since.
0: That brings up a great point. Uh, Lindy also did a, a Facebook Live event for a book club that we had been running, and what great timing with everything that's going on and folks working from home and just kind of an escape for folks that was still productive. So she was doing a video on it, and she was talking about how the Army, it has such a diverse group of opinions and thought leadership, and that is one of the common misconceptions, I think, from folks that, aren't uh, touching, you know, this military space or involved in it, they think it's a very conservative, not a lot of diversity in opinions and thought leadership. But that's one point that she made. And it
1: sounds like you might have a
0: similar opinion in falling in love with the Army at Fort Bragg.
1: Absolutely. I think the Army really does bring people from all across the country. It's a big misnomer that just because we all wear the same uniform and look, uh, look alike in uniform, that's the part of uniformity that's important to the Army. But on the flip side, when you meet people and talk to people. And I've been a huge proponent also for kind of getting out and reaching out to communities. We're stuck on a lot of times active duty on these bases and we form a silo. And the more we can have contact to talk to where we've we've come from, communities, uh, reach out and kind of communicate with people that may just not know a soldier. We are less than one half of 1% of the country right now. And in our past, there were just many veterans that we kind of spread across the country. We're just smaller in numbers now. And we've got to be the ones that advocate and talk about kind of our experience rather than a few loud voices out there that only focus on the negative things. We really have to talk about how awesome service is to the nation and how it can really change lives in a positive way.
0: Absolutely. Any other common myths about serving in the Army that you'd be able to debunk for us today?
1: Oh, I don't know if it's a myth, but, but there's a, a long and strong sliver of truth to the fact that it's, it's different uh, being a woman that serves. And I, and I think that's a big reason why I've always attempted to mentor and talk to some women that are at, there's a tipping point for women in service, it's usually between six to 10 years. It's, it really aligns with kind of the decision to have children and trying to encourage women that you can be both a successful officer, a successful spouse, and a great parent. And that is something that a lot of people grapple with. So the myth that you can't have it all, it's a myth. I mean, you just, you have to put your efforts in different buckets in different times, but you really can do it. And I've seen so many great success stories that I am one to encourage women who are in the service to continue serving their country and you can still be a, a great parent while you do it.
0: You can't have it all. It's just, you have to put forth the effort and what, what works for you as well. Cause I think that's another thing when people get overwhelmed and well, I can't do it all. Well, it's just going to look a little bit different for you than it might for somebody else, right?
1: right that and you know life isn't facebook fabulous or instagram <laughs> glam yeah sure. there everybody puts forward their best self in public and you've got to take the pressure off yourself i think and that applies to anybody especially right now you've got to do you and how you define success isn't what hangs on your wall or you know what rank you wear it's success to you and your life if success means that you know you're making homemade bread from scratch with sourdough, then that's success when you do it. Or if success means that find a a vaccine to beat some infectious disease, uh, well, if you create a scientific paper and do it, that's success for you. But you've got to individually determine that. And don't let the outside world and the squeaky clean, what, what people see, define that.
0: Sure. No, that's great. What do you wish that you would have known when you started out?
1: I think I would have told myself to just calm down a little bit. I have a tendency to just be really excited at times and sprint in one direction. And uh, good advice to myself looking backwards or to anybody entering into their profession is seek the advice of people who've both been successful and unsuccessful, people that have gone on divergent paths. I think you can learn more from people that have gotten off the beaten path than you can from the A-plus player that, you know, achieved the the highest rank possible, because they can kind of show you different routes and solving problems in different ways. Also, to uh, take time to smell the roses a little bit, because uh, this adventure of life goes by pretty fast. And... Kind of enjoying those still small moments of the now will definitely make you a better leader.
0: Switching gears to some challenges that you might have currently in your work that can be related to, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic or even just, um, you know, what you can disclose here regarding national security. Any challenges that you're experiencing right now and how you're helping your team to overcome them?
1: There are a couple of challenges, and I'll start with the team side first. I think the biggest challenge is just connectedness. You know, we as human beings psychologically are meant to kind of have that face-to-face interaction. And although whatever platform you use, Microsoft meetings, Zoom, Google meetings, whatever platform that is, it's still different than looking someone face-to-face. And kind of being able to reach out and touch them give them a handshake pat on the back it's just hard so you've got to find different ways and it's been really difficult to continue to kind of keep morale and motivation high while understanding we are in the midst of an actual pandemic and our lives the way we used to live are changed so i think that's been something that i've just really tried to focus on of how can you continue to motivate people while also letting them know that you're also confused Uh, Another big area now, kind of more so the scope, we're quite often asked, so what's next? What is the future going to look like 30, 60, 90 days in the future, maybe a year? And there's definitely a new challenge to kind of how we can predict certain indicators and warnings and, you know, what will come next. I think with my job, and I look at the threat quite often, um, Capability is one thing, you know, that purchasing weapons and equipment, but the intent, getting in someone's mind, kind of the, what motivates them and what they're driven by their goals, uh, that's an area that's really been shaken right now. And we're putting a lot more time into kind of understanding the psychological aspect of what drives people and what drives countries and leaders to make decisions. So that's definitely been a challenge.
0: And I'm sure even on the analyst level, when it comes to collection and, you know, planning out intelligence, that's changed because, or I'm assuming that's changed, you know, humans, you're not necessarily going... And, you know, talking to more people, it might even move even more to open source intelligence and, you know, taking a look at the dark web and the deep web and it's more online. I mean, I'm making that assumption, but would you say that that's also maybe going to be affected and change?
1: So I probably couldn't speak much to collection uh, right now, but I can to more the analytical side. And we've definitely looked at kind of different levers to receiving, you know, how we think about things.
0: What would you say when folks are maybe entering the decision-making process of joining the military? This is one of my favorite subjects to talk about folks are joining the military or when folks are transitioning out of the military. I'll start with joining the military. How did you get into your career field and what advice would you offer folks when they're trying to decide what they want to do in supporting and serving our country?
1: So I got into my career field while I was at school. I just really asked a lot of, you know, I tried to, to look at every different kind of back in the day, I really wanted to go infantry. It was prohibited for women to do that. So I, I tried to find what was the next closest branch that worked well with the infantry and and did as much as they could. Military intelligence was the one that kind of came to mind right away. And I was also a political science major, so they conjoined. It worked out perfectly, and, and I was really, really happy with the fact that I could do something and feed into a commander's decision and also get to belong in units where I was serving alongside infantrymen. So to me, it was a win-win and it was a very easy decision, but I did take a lot of time to kind of question what makes a person tick and kind of who's, who's a part of my tribe. I think when you look at any organization, you really have to feel for the culture. Are you going to blend in well with that culture? Can you stand that culture? Is the tempo too fast or too slow? And I saw that from many different perspectives when talking to officers at West Point and what they liked and what they didn't like about their branch based on that. So anyone looking in the military, you know, take time to make a decision. And also if you get into one area or specialty and you're just not jiving, it's not a good fit. That doesn't mean the whole army isn't a good fit. Um, There are places, locations, units, and that just aren't optimal for certain personality types or cultures. That doesn't mean uh, holistically because each unit is different. Look at different locations or even for officers or enlisted, we can even change what our occupational specialty is at some point in our career. So you can always seek out a different path. There's no preordained, you have to walk the straight and narrow for 20 straight years until retirement. There are so many choices out there, but you really have to understand timing. If you don't do long-range planning on your own career because you, you know, each of us takes the initiative and kind of plans out and can map out how we want to go down this military journey, you've really got to start at the beginning and look at what's the path to success if you divert off that path, what are different directions that you can go?
0: So being a little bit flexible, I know that that's a theme right. you know, in any industry, but just being able to have your contingency plan and being okay with that if it doesn't work out exactly how, how you planned it in your mind.
1: That's right. And I think you have to be open to opportunities. Sometimes you know, I've been even put in jobs where I said, I can't believe I'm not looking forward to this job. I, you know, I didn't think it was gonna be fun. It ended up being one of the best experiences that I could have ever imagined because the leadership that was there was so dynamic and I'm still actually a mentee to one of those commanders. And so it just, I have a long lasting relationship with this person because I just went off of uh, a different path and it ended up being very fruitful.
0: So are there any lessons that, you know, you learned from your officers or that they taught you that you still remember and why do you remember those?
1: Uh, one of the best ones was from my mentor at West Point, And she said, you can have it all. You just can't have it all, all the time. Mm-hmm. So, and that really came down to being a mother, being a wife and being an officer. You can do all, all three and you can do all three really, really well. But just, uh, you know, you would drive yourself crazy if you did all three at you know, 100% all the time. So giving yourself grace was a great leadership lesson that she taught me, especially when I was a single mom with two young kids, that proved to be pretty tough. And, uh, and I just learned and realized, okay, it wasn't survival. It was raising these two amazing little kids to the best of my ability and also being the best that I could at my job, but giving myself a little bit of grace to just take a deep breath every now and again and enjoy it.
0: And I'm sure that it was one of those pieces of advice where you heard it for the first time and, you know, it may have resonated a little bit, but as you go through those situations in life, you just, you think back to that and you're like, okay, I, I know what, I know what she's talking about now. I, know, I understand oh. why she was telling me that.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's a great book by Amaro Lindbergh. It's Gifts of the Sea. And it's one of those, there are some books in life you read the first time and precisely like you just stated, it's a good book. But then you read it again five, ten years later and you're like, this book is deep and it really applies to my life. And the more you read it, the more you realize oh, there are phases in life. And sometimes you're going to pick up on a message and it spins around in your brain, but you'll remember it two to three years and it will really apply to your situation. And you can kind of realize how rich our lives are by learning and reading and studying different people's journeys because it can apply to your own.
0: Going back to your transition, I know that I think when we were messaging, you were saying that you do the speaking engagements, but you also do career advice and coaching. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I do. I do some consulting work. So I'm active duty military, but I got blessed off by the lawyers and I'm also a small business owner for a consulting company. That's
0: amazing. So, do you work with mostly folks that are transitioning out of the military or folks that have been out and are, you know, just seeking out career advice? Why don't you tell me a little bit about that work?
1: I have tried to find a clientele in the military that because it's kind of a known quantity and and I know a lot of the journey that they're taking. So, I have some clients that I've talked to that are transitioning from one career in the military to another. But another big sector of people that I really like and I just favor kind of working with are people that are probably in their first or second job and going from a manager to a leader. And those, those people and organizations that I've worked with that really trying to motivate people to understand the difference between, you know, just having a couple of direct reports to actually encouraging someone to initiate and start something new and create something. That's where I find my success as a consultant, being able to, to talk to people and of course, Because I'm in Washington, D.C., I do quite a bit of work online.
0: So you mentioned a couple of buzzwords, you know, encouraging, initiating. What other things do you think make the best leaders that either you've coached or that you've seen in your military career?
1: I think a lot of leadership is explaining a vision in a way that other people can understand it. And then also the followers that that you're working with, whether they're direct reports or people that achieve or somebody that works for you, that they understand they can move forward with that vision. And so trust is an absolute key component to leadership. You're building someone up and you're giving them kind of that precious gift of trust to move forward and then do something with respect to your business, whether that's increasing profit, whether that's actually, you know, right now, we're really looking at streamlining things. And so how do you empower someone to do that and also seek feedback from you on the best way to do that and to kind of make your business, your brand, yourself better. And it's been really fun to kind of see that journey of people when the light bulb goes off and they recognize, oh, I've been doing this my whole life. That's right. You know, leadership is like a muscle. You have it. You just have to use it and you have to refine it. And the more and more you use it, the stronger you are. A big part of kind of you know what we see quite often is really that transactional leadership. okay, I'll do this, I'll pay you this, and then you do output, a, B, or C. Taking that next step, it's transformational leadership. And that's what I really like to work with, where people understand I, I don't just manage something. I am working to inspire someone, and that part of leadership, where you can really feel it in the air and sense it, that's a great part of what I like to inspire in other people.
0: Sure. And it's a great feeling just having a leader where you do feel inspired. And you mentioned trust. I feel like in any type of seminar or workshop, trust isn't really touched on as much as you just did there. And I think that's an important piece to highlight with leadership and with folks that people are leading. There is a huge amount of trust that needs to be there.
1: And I think another part, you know, we what we're experiencing in our country and collective right now is kind of the bifurcation and we just have to get past that. We have to realize, look, we're all in this together and if there's any lesson that we can learn right now, it's the fact that we really are as a collective and a in a country and a society we're all going through this this one experience. So how can you help other people? And that kind of goes Harkens a little bit back to the selfless service that's embedded in us as, as people in the military. It's more so. I mean, now we're seeing, and thankfully we're recognizing, teachers and nurses, doctors, healthcare workers, and grocery store clerks and truck drivers. All of these people that, for a long time, people took for granted. It's great to see that we can reflect and see the value in all of us, and now kind of the value of we're all going to get through this together and how we can be better on the other side.
0: Colonel Frost, you
1: just showed
0: everyone the silver linings of this, and I appreciate it. There you that. go. That's right.
1: <laughs> um, always so, a silver lining.
0: Yeah, always a silver lining. You got you to remain positive, especially when everybody's feeling a little cuckoo, I think, right now. <laughs>
1: That, that and you have to remain optimistic, right, mm-hmm. in any situation. And we are definitely going through one of those periods of our, in our nation's history where we're learning what the word resiliency really means. But when we come out of it on the other side, there are still going to be people that, and this is where leaders come into play, they need that hand up. They need the help and pat on the back and encouragement. And so that, that kind of optimistic nature that I like to infuse in people It doesn't just end when the, you know, we can cross the finish line and give each other a high five. We really need to recognize, okay, now is the real, the tough part, it's the recovery. And so that part really needs a lot of support and I'm sure that people will be up to the task.
0: Absolutely. So my last question for you, what has been in your military career, your favorite location that you've been stationed at and why?
1: Oh, that's tough. That's (laughs) tough. I've, I've enjoyed everywhere I've been located, honestly, because you can learn something. You know, I'd never expected to live in uh, on the Mexican border in Arizona. And uh, lo and behold, I met my husband there. Um, so that was pretty good, uh, Fort Wachuca, Arizona. Um, in 2017, we got married. So I'll, I'll take that. But I'd, I'd be remiss not to say I was in Hawaii for a really long time. And oh, yeah. I lived on the North Shore of Hawaii. And uh, there's nothing like surfing out there. So that when you know, my go to place in my mind, when I just want to turn it all off and have a good memory, Mm -hmm. I'll just think about that place.
0: Oh, that's amazing. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of cleared cast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.